Welcome back to Podcasting the Past. With me, your host, Jeb and Keith. This week, I are joined by two guests, my grandma and my grandpa, Keith, to give us an oral history of their lives in the Air Force, in particular, life overseas in Turkey. <laughs> Tell me how both of you as young adults decided to join the Air Force. What were both of your jobs throughout your time? Well, me, Carmen, um, I lived in New York City in the Bronx. Um, I, I'm a daughter of a Hispanic family and uh, Hispanic families at that time, uh, the males were the ones that got educated, the females kind of was supposed to get married and have babies. Well, I had a different opinion of that. And um, I decided to do several different things. I went into uh, airline school, but at that time, um, the age was 21, so I needed my mother's signature. She wouldn't give it to me. Then I tried other things, uh, and still they wouldn't sign. And so one day I was walking down the street, I saw this recruiting station and I went in there and I took the military tests. And then like a month later, they told me that I had passed it. But again, I needed my parents' signature because I was underage. So I tried for about six months to get my parents' signature and neither one would sign. So, uh, my parents were divorced at the time and my mother finally decided that she would sign. So the recruiter said, well, we'll just say that we don't know where your father is. And so that's how I got into the military and I got out, out of that position where my mother thought I should get married and have babies. I think Jevin was also like you to comment about jobs you had. Yes. Oh, the different jobs that I had in, in high school. I. I no, again, once you got to like the Air Force. Oh, when I finally got into the Air Force and went through uh, the military training, uh, they sent me to uh, different schools uh, for uh, secretarial type work. And uh, I think that was like six months. And then they sent me to my first assignment uh, at uh, Michigan. Selfridge Air Selfridge Force. Selfridge Air Force Base in Michigan. And I was assigned to uh, an office as an administrative person. My grandfather's past was a little bit different in his way to getting into the Air Force. He went to college and then he got a job. But after a while, he felt like this job wasn't right and this led him to this. At that time, when I, that was on my mind, that consideration, President John F. Kennedy is assassinated. November 63. Uh, John Kennedy was an inspiration for me. He had been uh, since he became president uh, three years earlier. And um, with that fact that I had great respect for him, the whole thing about uh, the country is not for you, it's for you to support your uh, country, uh, had always been in my mind. He gets assassinated. I'm already thinking about, uh, I don't love the job that I'm selling, in fact, selling men's clothes at the Dayton's department store. 
I elected to stop in to the Air Force recruiter in downtown Minneapolis. Um, and, and just to inquire, just to, to inquire. And during the time that I was inquiring with the Air Force about a position, uh, I get a draft notice. This is the time when all males in the United States uh, would be drafted. And the only way you'd avoid a draft notice was uh, to graduate from a college or university. Well, I had graduated uh, and I get a draft notice. Well, that, uh, that made me made me complete my decision because uh, rather than uh, be drafted into the Army, the idea of going into the Air Force as an officer uh, appealed to me. And so I completed the work with the recruiter in uh, Minneapolis and uh, a few months later uh, was sworn into the Air Force. And uh, then I was sent to uh, uh, officer's training school in San Antonio, uh, Texas. And after three months there, then you become a second lieutenant in the Air Force. And that was my entry into the Air Force in March of 1964. Um, I am sent to Selfridge Air Force Base, Michigan, a name you heard earlier on this transcript. And that was in the summer of... Uh, 64. As a management engineering officer, uh, that, that's sort of a fancy word for personnel work. Uh, people that determine how many people are to fill certain positions in the Air Force uh, and so forth. And it was a job where you would go out and survey uh, different, uh, different positions in different locations in the Air Force to, to d determine uh, if they had the right number of people and so forth. I wind up being there for five years or so. And then the life of the person that you heard earlier on this tape begins to intersect with mine because uh, I'm at Selfridge Air Force Base. Uh, she arrives, I've been there since 64. She arrives in 1966. And uh, one thing leads to another, and we get, we get married in 1967. And uh, I get sent, about a, four months later, I get sent to Ankara, Turkey, to continue in more or less the same kind of job I had at Selfridge uh, as a management engineering manpower officer. Uh, in Accra. Uh, Carmen uh, was assigned there uh, maybe three months later. The way it works in the military, if uh, a person, a married person, uh, gets assigned someplace, the Air Force or any military uniform, I'm sure it's a, a unit, uh, be it the Navy or Marines or Army, they endeavor to find a position for the spouse whether it's man or woman, for the other individual, they, they make that arrangement. I was to arrive in Ankara in, uh, in, in uh, January of 68. Uh, she stays at Selfridge Air Force Base until they find a position for her in Ankara, Turkey. 
that turned out to be four months later. She, she arrives in April of that year. My assignment in Turkey was for two years. In 1968-69, I returned to the United States in uh, January of 70 and, and I'm reassigned to a totally different career field as a missile launch officer. And my assignment was uh, Malmstrom Air Force Base, Great Falls, Montana, one of the prime locations for the Minutemen missile in the United States. That was at a time, uh, in fact, to bring up President Kennedy's name. Kennedy was the man who made the was the president that made the decision to um, get in, into a, a missile defense quite extensively. Several bases across the upper tier of the United States became principal sites for Minuteman missiles, one of them being Malmstrom Air Force Base. And one of the things that Kennedy was quoted as saying during his term, which of course didn't last very long, he was elected in 60 and killed in 63, he said that, uh, that uh, in so many words, that if anybody attacks us, we have a surprise for them in the ground in Montana. And he was referring to the Minuteman missile, which became one of our primary means of defense. Uh, my, my job as a Minuteman missile officer was to periodically, usually it was about five times a month, was to leave the base along with uh, a, a junior officer. I was a captain at the time. My, my junior officer was either a first, uh, first lieutenant or a second lieutenant we would go out in the field to a missile site and spend uh, like a day and a half continuously uh, on site uh, with, uh, with the, uh, all the computers and stuff, monitoring the status of our missiles. And uh, young, young men, usually lieutenants and captains, some majors across the United States, they were, you would have somebody on duty 24 hours a day, seven days a week, in case, in this case it would be the Russians, perhaps the Chinese at the time, in, in case one of those countries elected to, the, to fire upon the United States, uh, there would be somebody there to turn the keys to launch, as, as we would be directed, to launch Minuteman missiles against China or Russia and so forth. Um, did that for six years. I was in uh, in Montana uh, until the last day of May of 1976. I did not make uh, promotion to major. Uh, a captain comes up twice for promotion to major for whatever reason. Uh, uh, they did not choose to promote me to major. Let's go back to your time in Turkey for a second. You bet. So, once you got to this foreign country, what was it what you imagined or heard about? Like, did it actually fit what the experience was like? Do you want to comment first, Carmen, or do you want me? Sure, that's fine. At first, I wasn't sure. I've never traveled 
overseas before, so I did not know. All I knew was that I was going uh, overseas to meet my husband and start my career in the military over there. Uh, when I arrived there four months after my husband did, we stayed in a motel until we found uh, housing uh, in Ankara. There is no military base, so we had to live among the among the Turkish citizens there. So we found an apartment, and it was a penthouse apartment for $75 a month, and we could see the whole city of Ankara. Um, it was very different. Uh, one of the things that was different about living in Ankara, when you buy vegetables there, uh, you had to soak them in, in Clorox because they use human, at the time, human fertilizer. So that's one of the things the Americans had to do in order to uh, eat their vegetables. Um, it was different, I mean. Uh, there's people walking around with bears around and, uh, you know, chain and to perform for people and people would throw money at them. Uh, there was a lot of uh, sheep around the town, you know, herders with their sheep. Um, there was one stoplight at the time and whoever got there first was the one that went through. So anyway, it was different. Uh, my military job there uh, was in an office. I worked for personnel, uh, and uh, at the time, when a military female got pregnant, you had to get out of the military, and so uh, we wanted to start a family. I got pregnant, and uh, I left the Air Force at that time. Um, going off of what Grandma said, is the living among the locals, was that like the norm for the time, going to foreign countries? That's what I, I was trying to remember, what was the other part of your question. A couple things that I would offer there, uh, she mentioned about putting the vegetables into such and such. I think it's significant to mention that there was, you could not drink the tap water. Uh, we would periodically take a large plastic jug a jug that was a foot, foot wide and two feet tall to a spigot of water that was considered drinkable. Uh, it, was out, it was near the, uh, the, the where, where people, where Air Force people would buy their groceries and so forth. But we would go there every week or every two weeks, fill our, our plastic jug and bring it back home so we could have drinking water. Um, our uh, landlady in our in our apartment building became quite close to us. Uh, we enjoyed their company. Her, she, her husband, their two teenage sons, and uh, who all everybody spoke very good English. And uh, in fact, there was once or twice where we left the country for a period of time. I guess you would say vacation. And we left that young son who had been born in Turkey under the care of our landlady, so to speak, the woman that owned that apartment building. So we put a lot of trust in them and it was trust that was, was deserved because they were uh, really good uh, people. Interestingly, since you want to know about 
compare and contrast people. There was, there was, it was something that wasn't unusual for a Turkish person to do, but it was maybe contrary when I say that they were really good people, which they were, but they were constantly asking us to purchase something, to bring something back from our American stores, either the uh, the supermarket that we would buy goods in, you know, things that were transported from the United from the United States, whether they're soup or cereal or meat or vegetables. Mainly tissues. Is that what it is? Carmen says that it was mainly like tissues, but it would be things that maybe they didn't have as good access to uh, in their community, uh, because Turkey, like other third world world countries during that period of time, we're talking about 50 years ago, was gradually getting into today's world. And many of the products we were taking for granted in the United States didn't exist in great quantity in Turkey. So Carmen is right about perhaps that tissues, probably they include paper towels and tissues and cleaniques and all products like that. Uh, that, that, that didn't have access. Now, the reason why I bring it up, Americans were not not to buy goods and services that were going to be passed on to Turkish people. That, that, was, that was a no-no. If we ever did it, we hardly ever did that. We, that as, as a junior officer, I know that made me nervous that uh, if, if somebody's going to break the law, they want to, don't want to do it over a box of Kleenex. And not, not that I have ever broken the law, but that's not a good place to start. So we, we were hardly ever got ourselves involved in that. We changed the subject or went on to something else, and eventually she got, got the idea that uh, we were not going to stock her uh, closet full of uh, Kleenex or any other uh, product made in the United States. But uh, the, the people were the people were fine. There was a time where I had to go to a Turkish court. Uh, I hadn't really broken the law. This initial assignment to go over to my grandparents to this thrill of travel, and they go on to talk about this here. The eight, uh, we went to Moscow, Russia. Uh, and that was uh, an interesting thing because of the fact that I was serving in the United States Air Force visiting a country that was no more our friend in 1969 than it is uh, today. But it was an interesting trip and we enjoyed it and we have been traveling ever since. At the time, we our travels in that area, maybe we had been to half a dozen different countries. As I speak to you uh, today, we just came back from our 78th country. So in addition to the experience of serving in the Air Force, we have a, had a worldwide experience of traveling for the last 50 years, really inspired by our time in the United States Air Force. Jim, why don't you talk about the health?
So we're gonna bounce back to a few other points I heard while you guys are talking. So Moscow and these other countries you visited on your leave in Turkey. Um, what was it like there in the 1960s? Okay. What was the atmosphere like, the tensions, etc.? I thought, I, is it all right, Carmen? You want me to? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, it's interesting. I suppose there was uh, tension. I think there always has been throughout the world. I don't think that has changed a whole lot. There's ups and downs. And, but it all it sort of all depends on your attitude you know how what, how you think about where you're going and how you want to treat these other people it happens uh, that I think I can speak for Tar Carmen as well myself you treat other people the way you hope to be treated we at the time whether it was in Turkey or Russia or Germany or whatever we have never attempted to treat any of those people any differently than anybody in the United States. We're, I wish I could go to Congress one day or go to the president's office and speak for five minutes. We are all the same. Now, maybe the, there are rascals in the upper echelon of all government that make trouble. People are self-serving, they look out for themselves. It's the nature of governments. The people, the people are all the same. They might be, have things put in their heads by their presidents and premiers and kings and queens, but the people are, are fine. They're, they're terrific. An example, we were living in Turkey for two years. We enjoyed the whole thing. Turkey was considered a god-awful place to be assigned to. Most people, if you polled them that they were going to be assigned to Turkey or any number of countries like that, say, oh my God, we're going to go to Turkey. I'm going to hate that. That was not our attitude. We went to Turkey. We served there. It was a great. Both of us remember all kinds of things 50 years later. <laughs> Okay, so then coming back from Turkey to the United States, what was that like? Did you feel behind the times, or did you feel a sense of cultural change? Oh, it wasn't long enough. It was, you know, no, no, no real change. It, it, it wasn't wasn't long enough. I th and and the experience wasn't drastic. Like, two different things. I think there are people military people probably, that, that become, they become a soldier, they become a, a, a military person through and through. Because you, you, you'll see people in the movies, on television talking about, I mean, all they talk about is their military career. Uh, we can, especially for myself, can turn that on and off like a faucet. We, we were in the military, we did our job. I, I think we're, I know we were patriotic and we loved our country and we did a good job. We came back. The next day we were regular Americans living in the United States 
and the military was something of a bygone day. We, we just did our job. We didn't live the military experience after we left the military. Some people that serve in the military, especially perhaps for a longer period of time, if you're in 20 or 30 years, I mean, all you do, continue to do for the rest of your life is talk about the military. This might be the most we've talked about the military since we left the military, since I left the military in 1976, which is at least a couple of years ago. Uh, we haven't thought about the military since. Uh, what was the last part of the question again? Was it like any cultural change that you feel behind the time? Oh, yeah. Uh, there really, there, there were no, there were no changes, especially since when we left the United States, we were living in middle-class America, in this case, Michigan. We came back, we were assigned to middle-class America, we were in Montana. It's possible that even for a brief period of time, if you're only serving overseas for a couple of years, maybe if you were from a distinctly rural place when you left, and came back to a highly sophisticated urban place when you came back, or vice versa. If you were previously in rural Arkansas and you came back and you were in midtown Manhattan in New York, that would offer a significant uh, contrast. We've almost always lived in uh, middle America, uh, culturally and so forth and so that, that, that change did, did not exist. There, there was not a significant change. I would like to thank my grandparents again for joining us this week on the show and giving us some perspective on history you probably didn't know. Join us again next time as we have a episode on a narrative.